Hi, good evening, everybody. Welcome to Ora Torah, if you've never been here before. <coughs> I uh, spent a lot of time preparing this shear, and the purpose of this shear is to... I try to research the reasons behind a lot of the things that we do, because they have a lot of meaning to them. The different minhagim and the different practices we do are, some of them are very, very early, very early sources. And when we understand better the reason why we're doing what we're doing, we understand what it means, what it's meant to signify, what it's meant to symbolize, and largely it's symbolic for us. The symbolism is for us, the people performing the tahara. It gives so much more meaning and, and importance to what we're doing. So that's one primary focus I had over here, was to get an understanding and an appreciation for what we are doing. <clears throat> a, second, um, a second purpose I had in creating this year and initiating it was so that we can begin a discussion. I saw actually brought down in Svarim, it's an earlier Sefer called Sefer Hadras Kaidesh. it's about Taharis, and he says that every Chavra Kedisha has to get together every so often and discuss, discuss policies, discuss practices, make sure everybody's on the same page, uh, put heads together about difficult situations because you know it's you're out, you have to figure this stuff on the ground as as you as you go forward and and there's a lot to be shared to how how to how to do things better how to perform better. So I wanted to initiate that discussion. That's really what I wanted to do so that we can go through the different. I've, I've attended different taharas with different team leaders. I've noticed different practices, and it's good for us to come together figure it out, what should we be doing, what shouldn't we be doing, should we be changing anything, or should we leave it alone? That's, that's a, a, an issue I want to open up. <clears throat> and uh, a little bit to try to start talking about difficult to harass and what to do about those. This kind of shear is not the kind of shear where you keep quiet throughout the end of the shear. <laughs> I welcome questions, and, and I'm trying to encourage that we can talk, we can discuss, and, and hopefully all educate each other. So, we know that there are three parts to a tahara. There's the rechitza, the tahara, and the halbasha. The rechitza is when we clean the mace, the first part, and the second part is the tahara, when we pour Tish's kavim, when we pour nine kavim of water over the mace, and the last part is the halbasha, when we dress the mace in the tachrichim and place them in the aren. Some people call that a separate part, but that's basically the three parts. Where is the source of rechitza? So the first, first source found for rechitza is actually a mishnah, Mesefta Shabbos, towards the end of Mesefta Shabbos. It says, It's something you're allowed to do on Shabbos, even though a mace is mukta. You're not allowed to move a mace on Shabbos. You're allowed to be So you can wash it and you can uh, shmear it with oil. Why are they washing and smearing the mace with oil? Clearly they're doing a rechitza. Why were they doing a rechitza? So simply understood, you could understand the point is they didn't have any really method to keep the mace fresh. And they didn't, there's no morgue. So they were doing what they could to reduce decay and to reduce a smell and, and anything that would cause a bizarre to the corpse and it was mutter to do that on Shabbos as well. But that's the first source. That's quoted as the first source for Rechitza. The Kolbai, one of the Rishinim, says the point of a Rechitza is that the mace should be clean and they're not chas repulsive because if it would be then people would not want to bury the mace. So very simply, the purpose of Rechitza, Pashup Shat, is simply to make the mace um, clean, beautiful and People should want to do the mitzvah of, of, of Kursa Mace. <clears throat> now, there is, over the ages, and this has been a point of contention among different Chavre Kedusha, 
is how, when is the ideal time that the tahara should be performed. For example, when we have a mace that needs to be flown to Eretz Yisrael, should the tahara be done here or should the tahara be done in Eretz Yisrael? Now, as far as I've seen so far, we always do the tahara over here. I know some Chavri Kedish in Eretz Yisrael will do the tahara again because they're of the opinion that tahara needs to be as close to the kavura as possible. And again, it kind of depends on what the reason for the tahara is. If the reason of the tahara is to make the base as fitting for burial as possible, so then it's better it should be done as close to burial as possible. But there are other reasons for a tahara. There are a number of tshuvas from that discuss this, and Nebrak seems to have its one minute, and other minhag, that's such a big point. Go ahead. So on that example, I thought there's a lot of times where when they fly, um, there's leakage, yeah. and they want to do a tahara. Then they certainly they do it again. Because it's, whatever we do here has to be redone. Correct. They still, they still usually ask us to do it. Correct. Right, right. And that's also something we should discuss, is that what we can do to avoid that from happening, the tachrichim getting ruined or, or dirtied in the process. One of the main svarim, that's really the source of Armin Hage Tahara, which I guess means Minig Ashkenaz, is a sefer called Maver Yabok. Maver Yabok uh, was authored by someone named Aaron Brachia ben Moshe of Medina. It was published in 1626. And that goes through Alpi Kabbalah, Alpi Said, and many things that are, you know, Ramazim. And it goes through our whole Seder of Tahara, all the tefillahs that we have, they all come from this Sefer Mavriyabek, who he himself is quoting earlier sources. He's quoting Rishayim, he's quoting the Rikeach, he's quoting Rabbi Yeruchim. But he's largely a Rebuda Chassid, but that's the source. That's, made, that's the handbook from most all Swarim that come afterwards. He himself was a Talmud of Rav Moshe Kardaviro, the Ramak, also the author of Taimur Devaira, you may be familiar with. Was a big Makubal. Uh, this is also uh, the author of Reish Chachma, which is a little less familiar these days. And that's the source of our Tahar ritual. So now he says like this He says that the form and the image of the Nishama resembles the body. There's actually a source for this. He doesn't quote it, but there's a source for this in the Gemara and Brachas, a fascinating Gemara. The Gemara says that there was a Chassid that his wife kicked him out of the house. And he went to sleep on Rosh Hashanah in the Beis Akvaris. He had no choice. And um, he, sleeping there in the Beis Akvaris, he overheard two spirits speaking. Apparently this person was of a pretty high level. And he heard two spirits speaking. And they said, you know, let's go to Kisek, around the Kisek Havid and hear Achayre HaPargid behind the Mechitza, what's going to be the decrees for the coming year. So one told the other, you go, I'll stay. So she, the other spirit said, why don't you come along? They said, I'm embarrassed. Why am I embarrassed? Because I was buried by Machatzala Shalkanim, a very, very cheap and dishonorable tachrichim made out of reeds. So she was embarrassed to go. Now, who cares what she was buried in? <laughs> this is her neshama we're talking about. Right? So clearly, the way the person is buried, the way the body is treated, reflects on what the neshama actually appears like. So that means what we're doing to the body, the honor we're giving to the body, the way we're dressing the body, is going to be his image forever and ever and ever. This is the way the person is going to appear. So that's what he says. That's the importance of doing a rechitza to make the body as beautiful and as clean. And he says one very important hakpada is that the face should be free of dirt, which I will get to later. When we put on the afer to Yisrael, there's different ways of doing it. I've noticed and I've seen the different svarim. Some people put only in the mouth and on the eyes, but other people scatter on the forehead as well. He seems to be not into that, but... Like I said, there's other, there's other sources for that. <clears throat> so he, he, that, that's the point he says. The point is that we're, what we're doing to the body is actually going to reflect on the neshama itself. 
<coughs> he also writes that he heard that, he, his, his, this is, I'm quoting him, he says, I have heard that the mace is knowledgeable of what goes on in this world until you do the rechitza. When you do the rechitza, you're, so to speak, washing him away from the bonds of this world, and that frees the neshama to go up to Shemaim. <clears throat> and uh, he learns this from a Pasik. He says, uh, Pasik says, V'tirai, and then V'kiddushai. And he says, that's why the Velt calls it a Tahara. Why should it be called a Tahara? It's a Rechitza. He says, the Velt calls it a Tahara because you're purifying the Neshama from all its earthly bindings and allowing it to proceed on to higher levels of Kedusha. So, important to realize, there's a Pashupshat why we're doing the Rechitza. The Pashupshat is that the May should be pleasant and that we should be able to do the Mitzvah of Kavura, Behidur, without being repulsed. There's a covered hames in that aspect, and then there's much more deeper concepts that we're doing and affecting the neshama, and we're affecting the neshama eternally. So it has great importance in that way as well. <clears throat> he also writes that the neshama observes everything that we do to the guf, so we're under observation <laughs> while we're in the tahara room by the neshama itself. The process of rechitza, and this is a fascinating thing, I found this fascinating, the process of rechitza has very early roots. There's something called Seder Rechitza Shel Hillel Hazakeh. And this is pro, pro, quoted by Rechus in a number of Sfarim. Some sefer called Lacham Apanim, one of the earlier Sfarim. There's a sefer a letter by, written from someone from Tzvas in the early 1500s. It was a process of Rechitza, which is, has similarities to ours, a little different, but it was done to the Arizal, it was done to the Maram Sheikh. Big Gedalim requested that this Seder Rechitza should be done. We don't know exactly which hill Hazakin this is. Some say that it's the hill Hazakin, Hill and Shammai, it's that Hillel. Others say not. There's a whole other sefer that has a whole quote as if it's a lashon of a Gemara, of a Tesefta, that, that goes through Hillel talking to his Talmidim and explaining them how to do this Rechitza. Regardless, it's either a Tana, an Amir, either it is Hillel, or it's someone very, very, very early on. And it has, has in that Seder HaRechitza, it, uh, it has a, a number of significant differences from what we do. Number one, he requires 42 buckets of water. <laughs> very extensive rechitza, very extensive rechitza. And each bucket of water, uh, it washes a different aver of the body, and sometimes multiple times one aver, like the face is washed seven times, sometimes with the beard, sometimes without the beard. The hands are washed with the fingers, without the fingers, etc. And each one, each, each time you do one of these rechitzas, of these 42 rechitzas, you say a different pasik, a lot of those psukim have been combined. And we say them just as the Seder HaPsukim. So we got them from there, but he had them each aligned per Ever in a certain specific way. And obviously 42 is not a random number. It's the Shem Hashem, Shem Membez. So you're, you're binding the Guf with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a very special way. Each Ever connected to another Shem of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which he explains also. <clears throat> There are a number of halachas which are deduced from this process, the Seder Rechitz of Hilazakim, which we do have, which are applied to our every Seder Rechitz, which the Mavri Yabe quotes. So this Seder Rechitz is, is very relevant. The actual Seder Rechitz, the Mavri Yabe and others say, is only for someone that's very, very special. One thing I did understand from going through this Seder Rechitz is it, it, it gave me a little bit of an insight, which I didn't see anywhere, but it seems to be the shot here, that... When, when we're doing the Rechitza the way he describes, we know that every mitzvah, there are mitzvahs and Lysa says that correspond to each part of the guf, every single aver, every single vein, every single part of our body is, corresponds to a mitzvah. When we do the mitzvah properly, 
that part of the body in its spiritual sense is fed, is, is nourished, and is perfect. And when chas v'shalom we don't, then it's missing. When a tzaddik passes away, when someone of that level passes away, you can do a tahara to each part of the body individually because he has perfected every part of his body. So you could do a tahara and you could connect it to its kedusha, connect it to his tahara, because the body is perfect. When someone is not of that level, that wouldn't be a good idea to try to, to start pointing that out, you know, that each, each aver was perfect, perfected if it wasn't. So we kind of reduced it to the basics. We reduced it to the basics, the head, the, 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 the arms, the legs, because every person does mitzvahs, and even Reikim Shabbat Yisrael, even the simplest people in Klai Yisrael, Malayim, Mitzvah, Karima, and they do many, many mitzvahs. So everybody has brought some perfection to his basic limbs. So that's the, the Seder Tahara we have has been, you know, has been simplified to cover the, the basics that he goes through, but he goes through at length. And that also gave me that kind of insight, what we're doing in a, in a Seder Tahara. What we're really doing is, is bringing each, each limb to its perfection after a life lived with Taira Mitzvahs. <clears throat> now, Tahara has many ingrained Munhagim, but there are some that clearly change due to circumstance. And that's an important thing to realize. That's why this discussion always has to be had. For example, there is a minig which is brought down in the Ramah, which I don't think we practice here at all, which is to mix a mixture of egg whites and um, wine, brought that in the Ramah, and uh, smear it on the face. And I've heard that Chaber Kedisha in Brooklyn do it, other places as well. Um, they uh, make this mixture and they spread it on the face. It seems that the reason for it, this is so, I saw brought down in this farm, the purpose was because there was a point, a point in time when that was the only method they were able to do due to the pressure from authorities, that was the only method that they could differentiate between a Jewish corpse and a, a non-Jewish corpse. They had to prepare them the same way and they were delivered through the same system and if you wanted to have one chelik of the Beis HaKvaris which was just for Jews, that was the only symbol, symbol they could use to identify. They would smell and they would smell the vinegar and the egg white. So, like I said, some people still practice it because perhaps, like many things, it has a deeper significance. But as you see, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think any of us do that. Right? So clearly there are things that change. And this is something which the Ramah doesn't say all that much about Tahara. This is something he does say, and we don't do. So Taharas change. They change. They, 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 as circumstance change, as needs change, things change. Um, Another example is that there is a hakpada also made in a number of svarim that a tahara should be done within three hours of kavura. Obviously not very. <laughs> we have a hard enough time getting volunteers as it is, right? If we would have to have a three hours of kavura, then the mace would be left without a tahara. So, like I said, you know, minhagam are important, but when they have a certain... They, they, have, they have to be, be molded to fit the circumstance that we live in today. Okay. <clears throat> Uh, just again, one other thing I saw brought down, I thought it was fascinating, is that the process of tahara should be given so much kedusha and so much importance that a person is supposed to dress accordingly. You know, you, even though you can get dirty in a tahara, so obviously you don't have to wear your finest clothing, but you should be wear very respectable clothing. Some bring down to wear a hat. I don't suggest this, but I'm just saying the, the idea is is that. There, there's a lot of chashivas to what we're doing. It's not a simple mitzvah. It's a mitzvah that has a lot of kedusha to it, hence the name Chavra Kedusha. There's, there's a lot of importance to what we're doing. There is a very clear 
warning given in Svarim not to change Minhagim of Bechavri Kedisha. So on the other hand, although we see that Minhagim do meld, do change, at the same time, a lot of emphasis is made at do not change Minhagim. And they write some kind of scary stuff when certain Minhagim were changed. So we're going to try to do both. We're going to try to understand what could be changed, what can't, what has a source, what does it, and we'll try to be respectful to whatever we know. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to that. We're going to try to, that, that, like I said, we're going to try to open the discussion about that. Yeah, we're all trying to do the same thing, that's for sure. Okay. <clears throat> let's start from the beginning of the process of Tahara and let's work our way through it. So, the first thing we do when we start at Tahara is we wash our hands. We wash our hands three times, like you wash in the morning, Sirugim, one, two, one, two, one, two, and that's the beginning of the Tahara. Now, a number of farm. Uh, no real source, but I've seen it says you shouldn't draw your hands. Absolutely no reason for this that I could find. I called Rabbi Zon today and I asked him if he ever heard a reason for it. He has never heard a reason for it either. Uh, he hasn't found a real source for it either. And obviously, today we wear gloves. Try to put on gloves with your hand that's wet. Not a good idea. So he said that he spoke to, uh, I think he said Aaron Soloveitchik way back, and uh, he discussed this when, when at the point when AIDS became prevalent and everybody just started wearing gloves, you know, at the concept. We'll talk about gloves in a minute. But that became a, pretty much a standard that everybody wore gloves. And he said, this just makes sense. We can't do this anymore. We can't wash our hands and put on gloves. And, and he said, don't. So he, he said, dry your hands and put on your gloves. And he, there his own speculated, which was interesting. He said, after you go away from a kavura. You wash your hands three times. And then Taka, there is a mitig not to dry your hands. And he said, there the reason might be is because when you walk away from a kavura, you don't want to, you want to remember a little bit of what's going on. You don't want to like dry your hands and forget and, you know, go back to your merry way. You want to bring it with you a little bit. But he says that doesn't make sense here. You're about to start a tar. Maybe when you finish a tar. When you start a tar, it doesn't make any sense. So he said he doesn't really know what the source is. He's not sure if it is valid. But regardless, nowadays we wear gloves. We're going to dry our hands and we're going to put on gloves. Now, here, here's another thing. Here's another thing. When the net, the, the, we'll get to the gloves in a minute, but before that, how, how careful do we have to, this is something I want to hear your opinion about, how careful do we have to be to keep the mace covered? And I've seen among different groups different approaches to this, which is like this. We, obviously, we always keep the face covered and we always keep the makam hamila covered. That's always covered. But then, how careful do you have to do you have to be to keep the rest of the body covered when you're not really in the middle of it? So obviously, when you're in the middle of doing the ruchitza, you don't cover the body. And you're in the middle of doing the tahara, you're not going to... But what about in between the ruchitza and tahara, you go wash your hands. Are you careful to cover the mace in between? Can I hear from the crowd? Not usually. Not usually? Anybody is? You are? Anybody else? So, like I said, I saw both things mentioned. There seems to be a chashivas to do that. So, I'm opening that up. Uh, that's not something which I consider a question of changing a minute. That would just be, I think, adding some respect to the mace. So consider it. If it's not too much of a trouble, it might be the right thing to do. It's definitely brought down to do that, to keep the mace covered as much as possible. Some Chavar Kedisha go so far as they wash him under a cloth, whatever. I mean, there's, there's a lot of radical stuff out there. I mean, that's, that's besides the point. The fact is that there's definitely such an emphasis, there's such an importance to, to give chashivas, to, the, to uh, try to reduce the bizarre hames as much as possible. So that's, that's something to keep in mind. Yes? Could this be just taking a sheet covering? Or, yeah. Or is it 
Like if a, if a foot sticking out, like, should we extra care? I don't mean that. Like just in general, just... I, I mean like what a person would feel comfortable with if he'd be alive. That seems to be the idea. Right? It's not a... No, enough that the person shouldn't feel... That that's, that's how I understood it. Yeah. Yeah. Right, got it. Okay, yeah. So obviously a team leader is going to make that call, right, regardless, yeah. I'm talking about in those easy, simple taras, which happen once in a while. Every, every 10 or 20 of them, we get one of those. Somehow the mazel was my first tahara was a very easy one. <laughs> if my first one would have been a rough one, I don't know if I would have continued. Go ahead. Is there any issue... Okay, so let's say after their pizza, we cover them, cover the face and go out to wash our hands or whatever. Right. Although actually, usually I send out only one person who's going to touch the boards, and the other three of us are going to be stay there. But we could still cover them up. Right. One person, or when the three so you're waiting around. That's the idea. Yeah. After you use that sheet, let's say, can we use it to dry the mace after the tahara? Certainly. There's no issue with it. It was used before tahara. After. I don't think there's any issue with that, no. Okay. Now, we cover the... Two places, right? We always keep the face covered and we always keep the makam hamila covered. The makam hamila is covered, obviously, that's respect to the mace. The face of the mace is covered also out of respect to the mace, but there's another very important reason which everybody has to know. You cover the face of the mace for other reasons. Looking at a face of a mace is kasha l'shikha. Looking at a face of the mace causes a person's eyesight to dim. All these things are brought down in different svarim, the early svarim. We're talking about gemar and hairias, prichadash, primagadim. Other swarm bring this down. There's many other reasons why we shouldn't be looking at the face of a mace. Um, uh, whatever. The, I don't want to go into the whole arichas. It's not that important. But there's a lot of other reasons why not to look at the face of the mace. So that's important to realize. So it should be more careful not to look at the face of the mace. But also to realize that this iser is only histaklos. This is actually an interesting distinction that comes up in many other places in halacha as well. There's re'ia and there's histaklos. Re'ia means seeing something, and histaklos means looking at something, studying it. For example, in Hilchus Nida, there's a halacha, a person is not allowed to look at Makaimas Hamagulim and his wife, but the iser is only histaklos. Re'ia, you don't have to run out of the room. You can see it. You just can't gaze upon it. You can't look at, study it. Same thing with the face of a mace. When the face of a mace is uncovered, you don't have to make sure you're looking the other way. That's not the point. The point is not to study it. Now, sometimes that can be hard if you have to wash the face of the mace, if you have to do what you have to do. So obviously then it's not a problem. You do what you have to do. That's not, that's not an issue. But otherwise, when the face gets uncovered while we're doing the tahara, we just be careful not to gaze upon it. That's, that's, an, that's more of an issue than the makam hamila. That's more, more, much more of an issue than makam hamila. Uh, what is the issue? It seems to be uh, esoteric. In other words, it can cause forgetting learning. It can cause damaged eyesight. All different kind of reasons that are mentioned. So those, those are all brought down in Svarim. <clears throat> Back to the gloves. We talked about that before. I just want to give some background to what was the, ever the discussion with gloves. There's a Gemara in the end of the fourth parak of Psachim. The Gemara in the end of the fourth parak of Psachim talks about a Kayhain. I forgot his name right now. And this Kayhain used to do the Avaida wearing gloves because he didn't want to get dirty. And it, he suffered a terrible death. It was a bizarre to catch him, the fact that he wore gloves. This is the source that the concept of wearing gloves while doing a mitzvah because you don't want to get dirty with the mitzvah is a bizarre to the mitzvah, which means we should consider it an honor 
to get ourselves dirty from a mitzvah. The Gemara says that during the carbon Pesach, when they shefted the, those hundreds and thousands of karbanis, the kahanim were up to their ankles in blood. And that was a shevach, that was a praise for us to become so physically involved in the mitzvah. So that was then. That in other words, there was such a point in time when there was a hakpada not to use gloves, specifically not to use gloves when performing at the hara to show respect to the mitzvah that we're doing. Obviously, with the change of times and infectious disease and etc., that for all intents and purposes has been has passed. Like I said, we changed minhagim as the time changes. So I spoke to Rabbi Zon today about it. He told me that uh, I forgot what year it was in the eighties. Yeah, he spoke to Ravaran Soloveitchik about this, and then Ravaran Soloveitchik was the one who was quoted in the Chicago Manual that you shouldn't wear gloves. And again, with the advent of, of infectious disease, he came out that that's, that's not relevant anymore, and now everybody, everybody should wear gloves. And he said immediately there was a, there was a um, publication in a number of Yiddish-speaking newspapers that... Uh, you know, was said you should only do taharas with gloves, and they had made a whole big bruhaha about it. I, I'm sure that nowadays everybody does it with gloves, chassidish, litvish alike. So the, at the time, it apparently was some kind of a, an issue, but it, now I don't think anybody should be doing a tahara without gloves. It seems to be the right thing to do. Now, the thing is like this. This is where I've noticed discrepancy among different um, teams whether when you do the second time you wash your hands, after you finish the rechitza, you wash your hands three times, should you be removing your gloves to wash your hands? I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to tell you whether you should remove your gloves or not, but I will tell you, if you don't remove your gloves, you're not really doing anything when you're washing your hands. That's, that's a fact. Now, that doesn't mean you have to remove your gloves. That doesn't mean that because there are people, Rabbi Zone himself told me that his skin has gotten so... so uh, allergic and ruined from the latex, he can't come out, can't do taharis anymore from taking, putting on gloves, taking off the gloves, putting on gloves, taking off gloves. It can have an effect. People who have skin conditions, people who have chapped skin, I'm not telling anybody what to do. No one has to take off those gloves. You can keep on those gloves. That's the way you can do the mitzvah without suffering from it. Do it that way. But if you can, then understand if you're going to be doing the washing <clears throat> your hands three times with the gloves, you're not really doing anything. It's just, just a fact. It doesn't, you're not accomplishing anything. So, if you want to have the myla of washing your hands a second time before the tahara, it would make sense to remove your gloves. Question. This is my opinion. State it. Yeah, go ahead. I've seen people use two sets of gloves and so they'll do the and then take one. off the gloves and Right, I hear that. Yeah. It's fine. Those are all good. I'm just saying that washing hands doesn't have a pshat. If you're not washing, there's no pshat to wash gloves. That's all. <laughs> I just, I can't, I can't find a way that that makes any sense. That's all. That's, that's the extent of that. So I wear two sets just for protection. Disease. Yeah. I mean, I'll remove the set or anything. Yeah. Well, I, I, like I said, I asked, I, when I spoke to Rabbi Zon about it, and he was, he, was def, he was on the same page. He says he doesn't see any point washing your hands, but he said everybody should do as they're comfortable doing. You know, when it comes to the, those gloves, you can't be mechai of anybody to take them off, put them on. You do it as what works for your hands. So I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, <clears throat> now, then the next thing we do after we're all properly adorned is we say a tefillah. 
So first, actually, the first thing I think we do is that the team leader addresses the mace and asks Mechila, right? Is that the first thing we do? Yeah. I would, that, okay, so the team leader says that. Now, here's a point which is actually relevant to all the points. I'm good. All, all the tefillahs now. Really, all these tefillahs, everything, the Ana, Rachom, and, and, and the Reshik Hesem Paz, all those things actually are supposed to be said by everybody. Obviously, it's not practical that everybody should be standing around, so one person says it, but everybody is Shemei Kaina. So everybody has to listen. Everybody has to listen, and it's as if you're saying it. But that's important. Everybody has to pay attention. It's, 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 essentially, it's not, it's not a one-person thing. It's everybody who's involved needs to say these things. So when he asks Mechila, he's doing it on behalf of everybody, etc. Yeah, go ahead. No, they could. They, just, they should just be listening, that's all. They, could, they can continue doing they what they're doing. Doing yeah, you don't have to stop the process. Just listen, that's all. Just realize that everybody should be listening. That's all. Yeah. Should we be doing it in English if we don't understand Hebrew? So there might be a reason for that. There might be an idea for that. So you can understand what you're saying. So I, I, can't, I can't tell you. I, I, you know, that, I understand. I, I, I don't know. I'm not uh, capable of giving you an opinion on that. The third paragraph is in English. You, know, you are asking Mechila in English at the end. So. No, yeah, the Mechila part. Maybe that's a compensation. Well, well, we have the English on all of things. No, I know. It's hard to know. I mean, you're saying it's Philo. It's, it's ideal that you understand what you're saying, that everybody understands what's being said. It helps much more if we know what we're saying. At the same time, Hebrew has a powerful right. power too. So I don't know. I don't know what to tell you about that. It's a good I mean, question. The first two were prayers. The others were pesukim. So Correct. I, mean, I just didn't know if there's a difference there. You know, right. I don't know. The now the this tefillah itself that we say on a racham. So you everybody's noticed that you say rachamim a lot of times. So you say rachamim seven times. You mentioned the word rachamim seven times in the way this tefillah was originally formulated in the Seder Rechitz of Hilazakin, like I told you before, it was broken up. And each part that had a Rachamim in it was said on a specific Ever. So that's really what you're having in mind. In other words, you say Rachamim one time, it's on the head. Rachamim another time, it's on one hand. The other hand, the bris, the two feet, um, whatever the Ever he refers to. So that, that the racham, each Rachamim is, is, is attributing Rachamim, mercy, or Kaddish Baruch Hu, to a particular Ever. There apparently is a lot more secrets and Ramazim and Saitis and symbolisms in this tefillah, which um, I was not able to understand. <laughs> so, uh, but it says that regardless if you understand it or not, it still has a powerful effect. So realize that there's a lot more to what we're saying than what, we're, what, we, than what we understand. And everybody should, should be listening to it. Okay, now, <clears throat> what are we trying to remove with the Rechitza? And this is fascinating because this is an ancient machlekes. This is an ancient machlekes. There was uh, different minhagim way back the Chabra Kedisha of Prague, Hamburg, Vienna, uh, and, and um, that whole area. It's called Ahu. It's like one part of Czechoslovakia, Germany. <coughs> and their minig was that the point is just to wash down the body. It's not the purpose to remove chasitzas. That's not the idea. That was their opinion. So they did a very cursory wash. That was the minig of all those kahilas. The minig which we, we do, which is uh, Krakow, Hungary, Poland, and Russia, which is obviously a much larger area of the world, they held the point is to remove chasitzas. So obviously it was a much more intensive wash where you actually tried to remove all foreign substances. I will say, and we'll get back to this, and it's important to understand this, when we get to what exactly are we trying to accomplish when we pour the Tisha Kavim, we're going to see that it's exactly the same thing that Tisha Kavim does to a live person. The purpose is to be metahir tumas keri. That's the purpose of Tisha Kavim. To the dead person as well as to the live person, it's the same. 
And the halacha is by a live person, when you want to be metari yourself from Tumas Kari, the mashal, if a person is makbed on Tilas Ezra, so he goes to the mikvah. Halacha Meshabruah, Shulchan Arach, you don't have to be makbed on Chatzitza. Chatzitza is not ma'akev in Tilas Ezra. So it, it's not an intrinsic issue, the Chatzitza. If you left the Chatzitza on the mace and then you did the tahara, and then you realized, oh my gosh, I didn't remove the bandage, it does not invalidate the tahara. You don't have to do it again. It's that the Shiva's Tishikhavim works with Chatzitzis or without Chatzitzis, regardless. When we're trying to remove all Chatzitzis, it's for another reason. It's to, to purify the body. It's just for the concept of the, the Kedusha and the covet of the mace. We're trying to make it as pure. The way he came, from the, came into the world, he should leave the world. That's the idea. It doesn't invalidate the Tahara. <coughs> so, that was the two Minhagam how to do it. To the level of purity that we desire. We're trying to get the mace. The Lashon they use is that he, the same way he entered the world as a baby is the way he should leave the world. Okay. With full purity. That's the idea. Yeah. No, no. The Tahara, the, the Tisha Kavim is for Tumas Kari. The Rechitza is, whole, is for, the, for this purpose. So getting rid of Rechitza, even though they're more on that, it's not, not so that the Tisha Kavim can do something. That's correct. That's the point I'm trying to make. Uh, what are you saying? Sorry? So connecting this to the Tisha Kavim at the beginning of the yeah. that there are certain spiritual reasons right. for the Rechitza. So sometimes we have a, a mate that's pretty clean and there aren't any Chatzitza and we're very, very cursory just right. wipe, wiping it out. Is that any... Yes, there's... a mission of a problem given what you said at the beginning that, that the Rechitza, a full Rechitza has, has a benefit. So, again... When we, we always wash the whole body, right? Regardless, no matter how clean the body is. We go over the whole body with, with water minimally and rub them down, right? No matter what, we always do that. Unless, obviously, there's a problem, you know, decay or etc. So, again, the, the way this is brought down, actually, in the Dark Emesha, um, the Ramah, he brings down that a part of the concept of Rechitza is the... The concept I just said, which you want to make the body equivalent to when it came into the world, but he says something else. He says you want to prepare a body the way a person prepares himself for Shabbos Kaddish. That's the lesson he uses. Person should, that's what, according, as we're going to get to, there's other menhagim, some cut nails, some don't cut nails, some do trim, some don't trim the hair. Okay, there's different menhagim. But the concept those menhagim came from was this statement that there are more quotes from, I believe, the Maram Mintz, that he gave a tzava to his to people took care of him. He says, prepare me the way I used to prepare myself for Shabbos Kaddish. Because that's the way a person, that's what a person is doing. He's coming to be Mikabal Pnei Shabbos Malkasar, you're going to be Mikabal Pnei Ashkina. So the body needs to be prepared with that in mind. So to answer your question, regardless, we're going to give a person the shower, so to speak, that a person would take the Kavit Shabbos. Yeah? One quick conclusion is that because just a putting water on, you don't have to worry about taking off all the things that. If that would be. But I was saying, that's not our minic. We do the minig that we do we try to remove all chatzitzis. It's clearly our minig. That's, right? That's clear. That is our minig. I think there are still people that have the other minig, but we, our minig, I think the majority of Chavri Kedisha, we do try to remove all chatzitzis. Okay. Now. If they're clean, no. Correct. Not necessary. Right. As far as I understand. It's just cleaning. Basic cleaning. Okay, now, going through the, when you're actually trying to clean the body, 
So we pull off the bandages and, and all that. So now one thing that we should, we should actually discuss together, and it's not, this is not such a great forum for it, but uh, we've all had experience removing tubes, removing all different kinds of things that a person unfortunately had at the point of, uh, of his death. And we've had different experiences doing so. We just had a tahara where we removed, there was a um, catheter line to the gallbladder. And when we removed it, it just kept on going and going and going, and it made it very complicated. So we should get together. We should make, I don't know how we should do this, um, because we should put our heads together on this, share our experiences so we can all become more educated about what works, what doesn't work, what to expect, what not to expect, what kind of lines go where and what they're doing. You know, I, I think that would be very... Um, that, that, that would be a, a, a big tell us for all of us. So I, I, would, I would love to get that into motion somehow, so I'm just putting that out there. <clears throat> we all had these situations. Another, another situation we just had, I was discussing it with Rabbi, um, with Rabbi uh, Zone, was that, I don't know if any of you have had experiences before where the, the, the mace had brown fluid coming out of the mouth that just wouldn't stop. And we tried everything, moving the head to the side, and, and just nothing seemed to be working. So I was asking him, what does he do? So he said, actually, what we did do in the case was to stuff the mouth with cotton. And he, what he suggested, which I don't think we have there, was this like a roll of cotton? Do we have that? You know, cotton balls? Some, 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 have some, some, some of them have it, but it's in, the, it's in all your kits. Oh, okay. So he said that's what ideally should be used. He said you start from the side and go across. The main thing is to get the whole sides. And then he told me that what he does is that he makes sure the head is very elevated at all times. You know, so the... the, 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 the table remains at an angle, and in the RN also, try to keep the head elevated, and he said then in the RN, he, he removes it sometimes, if he's confident that it won't uh, continue. Anyway, like I said, there's all these situations that come up, and we should talk about them to see what's the best, because it was very complicated at the time to try to figure out what's the right thing to do. Go ahead. So, I just was learning Mishnayas and Shabbos, yes. and it talks about there also with tying Correct. So, is that something I've never done this uh, as a lead? So, yeah, I've seen it. I can't the the mouth is supposed to be closed. The mouth is supposed to be closed. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to that. That's but, a, that's. but especially in terms of the this in this out. case, yeah, right. So uh, to 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 address that, we've had that before, where mm-hmm. where dude, the base died apparently with his mouth open, and then rigor mortis sets in, very hard to close it, and that a number of farms say you have to try to close it as best as you can. So I, I've been to Taharis where the leader has tied the mouth very hard. Yeah. does not work. <laughs> I'll tell you now. It doesn't work because it slips. What are you going to use? You use Tachrichim to tie it. It doesn't really work. I could imagine ways that could work. If we would use rubber, there, there are things that could work. Um, I don't know if that's the right thing to do. Uh, there's something we should discuss as well. It would be in because you could, you know, you'd have a chin strap or something. Yeah, front, for yeah. it to really work, yeah, yeah. it would not, be, it would not be nice. I don't know if there's a nice way to do it. Again, the way we did it at the time was we used tachrichim and we tied it around. It kept it kind of closed. Didn't do the greatest job. I wasn't sure what the right thing for that was. Yeah, go ahead. Back to the chatzitza normal. Yeah. So what I was thinking with regard to the issue of the tubes removed and continues to leak, you know, some of the leader kits and, and some of the facilities now have tegadar, which mm-hmm. is a wonderful invention. You know, you can place the tegaderm over that wound, which will, you know, prevent it from getting out. So we did that. I'm presuming right. that, that worked. 
It worked eventually. <laughs> we had to do yeah, two. It, yeah. it, it worked the first time. I just, I was concerned. That is the creating a pizza. Right. Well, like I said, it's not a problem. Right. I'm hearing you say that that's not a problem. It's not going to actually disturb the Tahara part. We would prefer it not be on there, but actually, if you consider the alternative, that the mace would be even more desecrated by letting it go, so that's why that's better. Right, exactly. Okay. Yeah. No, so it's true. If you know you're going to cause a problem, then obviously don't. Like, there are some tubes that you know won't. For example, a catheter. So if you do it correctly, you can remove it and there won't be any problem. You know, whatever you wash off, you wash off and it'll be fine. There are other tubes that, uh, no, yeah, you're right. It's risky and it's probably better. Again, like I said, we should put heads together about which ones are just simply not worth the risk. It's not worth it to remove them. We, we're going we're gonna to lose more than we're going to gain. So, you know what? I've, I've, I've think I've, you know, I've gotten very educated and I haven't been to that many tires, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Should we try to figure out before doing it to hire out if the person was on an anti-coagulation medicine? Because that affects the... How are you going to figure that out? I mean, you can start making phone calls. Is there well? any way that we can get... Oh, have them give us that information. It would be a heavy violation, but unless we can... The funeral has been very reluctant to reach back to families to give us that information. And the funeral, I like you were just saying, they don't know. Okay, anybody else? Dr. Cooper, you a question? Uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, yeah, the issue is experience Rabbi Zahn when he's come here, some, uh, when he's come here uh, for training sessions um, in the past, uh, um, um, he has encouraged people to remove the tubes. You know, he should try as much. Try, it's a bigger covet for the mace that he shouldn't have tubes coming all out, obviously. Yeah. They know how to do it. Right. Yeah. I think our team leaders have seen just about everything. That's what I, my experience has been. That every day they, they were familiar. But then again, you know, it always helps, like I said, to share information. And we could just get wiser that way. So, go ahead. Well? I've done it both ways. I've removed it. And I've had it. And you've left him. Right. Okay. Um... One other thing, this is an interesting thing that I didn't find so much, but Rabbi Zon was telling me about this, and I, I have never seen this actually in practice. I don't know what we do. Uh, regarding false teeth, false teeth. So in the manual it says that if the teeth are loose, then you should remove them, and if they're not, then leave them in. Um, so he told me like this, which uh, he stuck with what I said in the manual, but he explained to me as follows. What he, he discussed this apparently with Rabbi Shef Feinstein, that's what he told me. So that's how. That any time there is a false limb that's replacing an actual body part, and he said even a, even a false arm and false, false leg prosthesis, those need to be buried together with the mace, and ideally you should connect them after you did the whole rechitz and everything, connect them and put the tachrichim over them as well. And he said with the false teeth, the same thing. The false teeth, if they're, he does not, he's not makbit to put it back in. He says other people are. He's not, but he does bury it together with the mace. So it should be buried together with the mace, regardless. I asked him about contacts. Contacts. He said he's never had that in 30 years, but he's sure he's going to have it. <laughs> Eventually. Uh, but yeah, so that would be the same concept. That's not replacing a part of the body. Uh, glasses, etc. All those things are not uh, hearing aids. Those aren't actually replacing a part of the body. Those don't need to be buried with the maze and should not be left on. 
So that was, uh, that was the rule that he gave me. Now, one interesting thing I saw, I saw in a number of swarm that they put a big emphasis that try not to get water in the mouth. Obviously, this is very tricky to do. So he told me, I asked him, what's his experience with that? He said that's something he's very macked on and no one else is. <laughs> so I don't know what that tells us. But uh, obviously the way you would be careful about it is you to put a cloth over the mouth while you're doing the rechita, while you're doing the tahara, so water doesn't get into the mouth. He said that really the real concern is, is that if water gets into the mouth, it comes out of the mouth, and then it gets the tachrichim dirty. So that's the reason why we should try to be as careful as we can that the water shouldn't get into the mouth. The svarim have their own reasons why they're makbed on it, but for, as far as we're concerned, that's what we're trying to avoid. So if I've been in a situation where the mouth is rigor mortis open, yeah. so when you're pouring the water, someone will hold their hand over the mouth. Okay, exactly. But that means that there may be you know, parts of the mouth, maybe the lips, that don't get the water right. onto them when you pour. How about doing this other option, putting a little cloth over it? Some, like I said, some chavar kedisha. You're guarding skin from getting water. So now that's a, that, then it's a little different. That's more like a chatzitza, which I said is not really a problem. So that might be better. And as you have something on, that's just a chatzitza. If you're blocking so, it, so you're recommending maybe we take that's what he a recommended. Cloth, yeah. Put it over the mouth, and then just to per- that's what he recommended. Oh, the rechitza, you should be able to avoid the mouth when you're doing the rechitza. The during the tahara is when the big issue is. I'm sorry. Yeah, like I said. Gotta try your best. I don't know. I, I, I'm putting it out there. I, it, I have seen it in a number of farms that they make, put an emphasis on it. And personally, when I've been involved in a tahara, it does seem disrespectful just to pour water down the throat. I don't know. It just doesn't seem nice. It doesn't seem like a covered ame. So I think naturally we would feel like that, that we would try to avoid it as much as we can. Sorry? Right. So it's much less of an issue, correct. Yeah. Fine. Now, uh, here I have a question. Okay, bleeding, obviously, we try to stop and etc. And everything that got blood, we put into the iron. That we all do. Now, here. Here is the, thi- here is the thing with here. <laughs> um, uh, when a, a, a large tuft of here comes off, so we all know, we put it into the iron. This is what I also have seen different practices amongst different groups. When you pull off a bandage and there are hairs on the bandage, are you makbid to put it into the aron? No. 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 Anybody? Yes. Okay. So this is following what it says in our manual, which says that if there's a tuft of hair, then you put it into the aron, and if it's individual strands of hair, then you don't have to be makbid. I, I, I didn't understand exactly why it should be different. I don't know if anybody does. Uh, in other words, we're makbed on a tiniest drop of blood, so why shouldn't we be... If we're mak- I mean, either we're makbed on here or we're not. So I asked Rabbi Zon about it. Uh, he said uh, there's different, different approaches. His, he said the real point is, is that if like a, a, you don't have to go chasing down here. <laughs> you, know? you don't have to go chasing down individual hairs that are lying around. You have to go picking them up. That's for sure you don't have to do. He did suggest that you should put the bandages with the hair into the RN. I'm not, again, I'm not... I'm just reporting at this point. I don't have an opinion. It's just, it was just, to me, it was just interesting. I don't really see what the difference is. I don't get it. Okay. If we're going to be Mac, we should be Mac of Nana. So I don't understand, but I know that's what we do. I'm just, I'm just reporting so are on those, it. Are the practices, it's not mine, but it's, are the practices to trim the hair and 
That's something else. Do we collect that? Yes. The according, those who do that certainly do. Yeah, they do collect it and put it in the arm. Yeah. Yeah. But the difference was the Dom had a special status. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> but I'm saying, if we ha- give that status to here, because if a large piece of hair falls off, like a whole tuft, then we do put it in. That it says in our manual. So that I don't get. That's what I'm saying. I don't have to kill Either forget about the hair or, or care about the hair. But to say that the, the, by the hair it makes a difference a lot and a little, I just don't hear the distinction. That's all. That's, my, that's the question I'm posing. Go ahead. To add to that question, sometimes on the headrest, yes. there's a lot of individual hairs that together, if you were to put them together, yeah. same kind of there. Same kind of issue. I'm putting it out there. That's, that's something we should discuss, I think, and we should decide what we want to do about that. Go ahead. Perhaps the uh, tuft can be considered just a critical mass and, and could distinguish it that way. I hear. I mean, that seems to be the argument here. I, I, it's a little hard for me to hear. Go ahead. In terms of putting stuff in the arm, what I've always done is just take a glove and then put things in the glove yeah. and the glove in the arm. That's fine. That's, right. okay. that's okay. I've seen. That's what you do. Okay. A bag of any sort. Yeah, that works. The dafka, dafka, especially if, if it's body fluids that might start smelling or something like that, for sure it should be put into a, a plastic glove. Okay. Um, let's see. Yeah, so now, what you mentioned, I, I think this is also, this, this is one thing that actually bothered me. The other, other discrepancies that I've seen amongst the groups are not a big deal. You know, yeah, here, a little here. How you tie the knots, that's all, un, that's not important. This is actually a real difference because it's really two minhagim. Cut the nails versus not cutting the nails, cutting hair versus not cutting hair. Those are really two very distinct minhagim. And earlier farm make a big deal, like, no, we don't do that. Like the Chayadim says that we don't cut the hair and we don't cut the nails. And other farms say, no, we do cut the hair, we cut the nails. So that bothered me that we should have within one Chaber Kadisha a different approach to that. So again, I'm putting that out there. I don't know which way we should do, we shouldn't do. I don't know. You see, uh, uh, just give me my, what I think about this whole thing. We, we, uh, we have had different, in our Chavar Kedisha, there have been different um, leaders that have been like the main teachers of group, different groups. There's been Nat Franco, there's been Alan Sussman, and um, someone else. Yeah, our boys, etc. So there's been different people that have, been the, have, have taught us. And, and it's important for us to maintain our Menhagim 100%. At the same time, there is a certain chashivus, and you see this in Svarim, to have a unified minig, that in one place we should have a unified minig. Each one of these minhagim are valid. Each one of these minhagim are chashuv. And there's nothing wrong with us coming together and making a decision that we should pick one way over another. So I think, again, I'm opening this up for discussion. I think that something of such a significant difference, which is cutting nails, cutting hair versus not, is something that we should we should be universal about, uniform about. So that's that's the thing. Yeah. Go ahead. Does anybody cut hair and, and, and or cut nails? Nails. Yeah. You cut nails? I've never touched hair. Okay. So there are yeah. some within the community. Yeah. No, there's a, there's a, there's been different different. I've seen it. Yeah. See, if, if we could confidently say that there is a Silver Spring Minute, right? If we could be confident and say this, there is a Greater Washington, there is a very, there is one, we just have to figure out what it is. So then I'd say, yeah, let's go for that. Let's try to figure that out. I'm kind of confident that there isn't. There, is, there are different streams. Old ones, long, long-standing ones, but there are a few different streams. And I don't, that being the case, 
Of course, we're welcome to continue that way, but I don't think there's anything wrong with us coming together and making a choice to choose one. I don't know who or how. Well, you know, maybe we can... Perhaps that's the right way. Like I'm saying, I don't know how to approach it. I do think it's important we should do that because, uh, like I said, a Chavra Kadisha has a certain identity which should be protected. I think we get the leaders together and bring in Alan and Art and, and, um, yeah. and Nat and see what they say, respect their counsel and right. Yeah, because they're not so important, right? So you know, we, we can certainly pull together sort of the, the wise counsel of the full time. That would be and, great. And the current leaders. That would be the right way to do this. Okay. Is there, is yeah. There, some basis in for here there is. There is. There's two very, that's what I'm trying to say. There's two very distinct Menhagen, very old Menhagen. And what, like I said, the fact, it wouldn't have bothered me except that I saw each, each proponent of the Minig very strongly saying not to do the other way. So that means that they're, they're really very different Menhagim. It's like we would have an Ashkenaz Svard way of doing it and within one Chavra Kedisha. It shouldn't be that way. That, that's the point I'm trying to make. Okay. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's go a little further here. So now, we say uh, the Psukim, right? Resha uh, Kesem Paz. These are Psukim in Shir Shir. So first of all, why do we say these Psukim? I mentioned a little bit before, but the Pashup Shant, and this is an important thing, the reason why we're saying these Psukim is because we're trying to internalize that every human being is beautiful. Every human being is Roisha Kesem Paz. Every human being is Yada Glila Zahav. Every human being has beauty, intrinsic, inherent beauty. And when we're dealing with a mace, and especially when it's a difficult Tahara, it's very important to internalize that, to, 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 to raise up the covet of the mace. And that's what we're trying to do when we say this Pesukim. That's the Pashup Shat. That's the Pashup Shat. Very important to realize that. When should we be saying these Pesukim? So here also I've seen different approaches. This is, like I said... This is an unimportant difference. But there are different approaches. Some say it before you start. Some say it as it's happening. Some say it after you've finished the Rechitza. It's done at some point during the Rechitza. There are different ways of doing it. Uh, everybody can do it as they, they've, they've been macabre. But everybody should be listening and understanding what, we're, what we are talking about. Okay, let's go to the nine Kavan, the Tahara, the second part. So I was very surprised to find this because... Obviously, we all wonder, a mace is an avia vaisatoma, right? The mace is the biggest tumma possible, so what are we doing? What, what exactly are we being matire him from? And the answer is so simple that it is astounding. So, before I give the answer that I did find, Rav Moshe has a tshuva, an igris Moshe, where he's writing about putting the mace into a mikvah. I understand that in Eretz Yisrael that has become much more commonplace. They, they build mikvahs as part of the tahara, they do, and then they lower, and Baltimore also, I believe they have that. They have a mikveh as part of the tahara, and they just use a mikveh. They don't do test cabin. Rav Maisha very strongly discourages the practice. He says you should not do that. He says it's extra cost. It's going to become extra cost for the people, uh, the family. It's not right. There's no reason why people should have to pay extra. Maybe big tzaddikim, if they want it, you can figure it out. But otherwise, he says, don't do it. Now he writes, and this is the language I want to quote. He says... Um, <clears throat> After he dies, you can't be metahar him. And he says, whatever Averis he did, this is not going to change by doing this tahara. He says, 
this that we have the Seder Chitza, and there's this concept of Tes Kavim. We do it even though we don't understand the reason. So Rav Moshe said, I don't know why we do this. I don't understand it. And he says, There are great reasons for this. That are greater from our capability of understanding. And we have no permission to even think about it. So there's just a very valuable lesson from Rav Moshe. Just to, to, to give the proper respect to the Menhagim that we do do. Okay, that having been said. Yeah, so that's what I'm getting to. So that having been said, there are other Svarim that do give a reason. Ramesh is just, he, he's, he's kind of disagreeing with what they say. But there are, there are Svarim, the Chachmas Adam writes, Sefer called Kuntras HaYichieli, he also writes, and he says like this, he says, look, we go to the Mikvah, Tfilas Ezra, why? Because of Tumas Keri. We're Tameh, that Tameh doesn't go away when you go into the Mikvah, you need Paraduma for that. So we're just as tummy before as we are afterwards. Nevertheless, there is a tahara for Tumas Kari. There's a tahara for that. And that tahara is either mikvah or Tishas Kavim. And it works to remove that tumma individual from the tumma of Tumas Mace. He brings Kudrasa Yichieli, gives, just let me just uh, finish this point. So Kudrasa Yichieli adds more to this and he says that the tumma that comes from a Kaddish Baruch Hu, which is Tumas Mace, HaKadosh Baruch Hu removes that. A tumma that comes through a person's actions, like to carry, a person has to remove that. So therefore, that's why he says we do the tahara of Taskavim. It removes Tumas Keri from the mace. And therefore, it has the same status as, as tahara of Tumas Keri. That's what Taskavim are. I know we're very short on time. So yeah. I'm ask, but the, sure. There are times where we have a mace where I don't feel comfortable pouring that much water on them. There's Correct. Skin You're worried skin's going to come off. That's open, right. There's open wounds. Mm-hmm. And even with bandages being taped on. Right. Is there any benefit to do it over part of the body? Is there any benefit to... So obviously the answer is that you definitely don't do it right on those parts, that's for sure. And I have heard, I haven't found a source, but I have heard that yeah, there is a benefit of doing it even just on the head. Yeah. So if the head yeah. is an issue, like I, I had a case where the... the right. The, there's a wound. Right, I understand. Right. So you do what you could do. I think that's what it sounds like there's a point. Would it be fine then just miss the head and just kind of start the chest and the arms? Like there still would be that... Again, from what I understood. Okay. He said to do it just on the head. Right. Rabbi so it seems. Okay, let me clarify one last thing. Um, with the boards, right? So we wet the boards. So I also just want to clarify that the wetting of the boards, the purpose is to, redu- to, to allow more water flow. We're not being metahir the boards when we make them wet. That's not what we're doing. We're just making them wet, simply wet, so that the water should be, make it easier for water to get to all parts. So they can be metal. What? Well, right. Now the whole concept... <laughs> that, no, but that's what I'm getting to is... I, I, have, I have looked wherever I possibly can and asked whoever I possibly can, is there any such concept that metal is a problem. And as of yet, I have not found or not heard that there is such a problem. So I have not heard any issue. Now, there is an issue. There is an issue, a minute, not to have metal in the Aaron. That's a thing. And that's probably where somehow that got confused, that there's an issue with having metal in the Tahara. In the Aaron, there was such a Hakpada. And that's Hakka why Aarons are built, 
without metal. They use uh, pegs or whatever it is, however they're connected, glue, but they don't use metal. And that was, he gave me his own, I spoke to him today, he gave me all history about that, whatever. But regardless, that's important to realize. So, so that's, that's just not a thing. The way Tahara, the way Tahara used to be done, and I understand that even here, I spoke to Yaakov Lipman, uh, he, uh, Lipman, right? Lipman. He told me that in one of the, one of the places here, they actually did it standing up. That's the way it was, that's the way it was brought down. Originally, that was the ideal way to pour Tish's cabin, and then you didn't need all these boards. The mace was standing up. They had a way. They had the table collapse on one side, and then they strapped the mace under the arms on the top, and they had something on, under the, the feet, so the mace was held up standing up, and you pour the water, and that was great, and so much simpler. It went all over the mace, all parts of the body. I'm not sure why that got discontinued. We used to have that here. That's not covered, Dick. You try, you hold also. But that's the way it was always done. It seems like that was the ideal way to do it. Could we stop the 